Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody, to Fantasy Football Today, DFS. I am your host, IMC Anajad. We're continuing our off-season series, but we're only 58 days away from kickoff. That's Kansas City and Detroit Thursday night football. I have a special guest with me. You heard him here last year on this very show, on this very podcast, Fantasy Football Today DFS guest, TJ Hernandez at TJ Hernandez. TJ, you are the director of DFS at 444. 444.com is where you can find his work. You can also find him at Betsports Media. 58 days away, TJ. That's got to sound. It's starting to sound like music to your ears, right? Yeah, man. I've been on this best ball grind all offseason. Uh, so that's that's been my main uh, focus, getting my fix now. But I'm sure uh, within, I don't know, two or three weeks, we're probably getting some DFS salaries dropping. It's usually the last week of, of July, I think. So uh, yeah, I'm itching for some DFS action finally. That's going to be really cool. And I'll tell everybody, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, listen. We're going to talk about regression candidates. Uh, TJ, he he writes a lot for 444.com, and you can find all of his stuff there. We're going to tap into some of the stuff he wrote about, some some of the outlier sort of statistical statistics, statistical players from 2022 and what that means for 2023. So we're going to get into that. But at the end of the show, we're actually going to talk a little bit about the DFS main slate. No, we don't have salaries, but it will be fun to just sort of speculate based on totals and things of that nature, the teams involved where people will likely go on the main slate. Maybe you want to play just the early slate. Maybe you want to just do the afternoon slate. Maybe you want to do the main slate. Either way, we're just going to tap into that a little bit at the end of the show. There certainly will always be a DFS tie-in. But before we get to your regression candidates, TJ, I do want to say, you know, this show, Fantasy Football Today, DFS, it's only two years old. We're only going into year three in 2023. And there's another kid. There's another kid on the block, another new show, that's coming right to you, and we're adding it. It's the Fantasy Football Today family adding another show with a brand new pod- podcast called Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. Join our pal from FFT, Heath Cummings, and a cast of characters as they aim to help you dominate your Dan- Dynasty League. Support the FFT team by following Fantasy Football Today Dynasty on Apple, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Well, TJ, I want to get right into it. 
Uh, and everybody in the chat, thank you for being here. I see you, Jay Metz. I see you, Eliard Anderson. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, we want to talk about some of the content you've put up at 444, some regression candidates. And I'd love to, if it's okay with you, I'd love to go by position. You have some guys that you know, are regression candidates, and that can be a confusing term to some people because yeah. we're talking about regressing to the mean, right, TJ? Yep. Yeah, I could give a little background on on the methodology, if you like, before we hop into the oh, uh, position. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this this is a a touchdown focus uh, regression analysis that I do every year, and it's kind of what I, I think it's an improvement on things like um, touchdown rate or things like um, red zone opportunities. Just gives a little more context to these numbers. Obviously, touchdowns are a huge driver of fantasy scoring, um, but what I've done over the past five or six years is uh, take every single play uh, for the whole season, look at uh, where that play started, uh, look at the line of scrimmage, and then what kind of play that is per position and uh, assign touchdown expectations. So for example, um, a pass from inside the five-yard line has a 45% touchdown rate. Um, a running back target from the opponent's 11 to the 15 has a 12% touchdown rate. So I apply all of those numbers um, across every position, every field position to every player and see which players scored the most uh, above expectation, which players scored the least above expectation. And historically, we've had a lot of success and these players on the upper end uh, seeing fewer touchdowns the following year, players on the lower end seeing more touchdowns, assuming that they get the um, continued workload. And it really gives us an idea of which players uh, we might be targeting as sleepers and, and which players we might be overhyping because maybe, you know, touchdowns there, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of uh, run good involved. And and when those numbers do regress, sometimes these players uh, are a little bit more average than we expect. So there's a couple names on your quarterback list. And we'll talk about, just so everybody knows, we're going to talk about quarterbacks, running backs. We'll touch on wide receivers and tight ends as well before we get into that uh, early look at some of the DFS main slate. But there's a couple quarterbacks on your QB list in terms of positive expectations, right? Uh, you yeah. have some negative expectations too in terms of regression to the mean. But a couple of the names really intrigue me, one in particular. Mm -hmm. um, but let's start with let's start with Kenny Pickett. Uh, the, sure. I want to get to the next one, but I want to start with Kenny Pickett. Why would he be a regression candidate in terms of having positive expectations? Yeah, just in terms of um, the number of touchdowns he scored, his his expected touchdown number was actually 17. He only ended up throwing seven touchdowns, and uh, there there was a lot um, going into that. Uh, for one, we had Pickett thrown into a situation where they weren't expecting him to start right away. They had Trubisky starting, um, ended up Trubisky was uh, a lot worse than they were hoping for, forced Pickett into a situation where he had to start quicker than expected behind a very bad offensive line. And then where Pickett really struggled was inside the red zone. Um, only of the 26 quarterbacks with at least 20 red zone attempts, Pickett was the only one with a single digit touchdown rate inside the red zone. We did see some improvement from Pickett just as a passer in general over his first three starts, 4.32 yards uh, adjusted yards per attempt over his final seven starts that jumped to 6.68, which is still slightly below average, but better than those bottom of the barrel numbers we were seeing. So we did see some improvement. Uh, the Steelers did add a first round tackle. Um, and, and I think, Second year in Matt Canada's system, uh, familiarization with the offense, uh, consistent pass catching core. If he scores as expected with a full year of pass attempts, if he improves on that red zone rate, I would put Pickett in that like high end expectation of somewhere in the 25 touchdown range. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about, 
it makes sense, right? That, you know, what he he's coming in a little earlier than expected when it comes to Mitch Trubisky sort of leaving the field, leaving the field as a starter. And obviously there's going to be growing pains early. And so the, the, mm-hmm. the fact that you saw a trend sort of later in the season with respect to Kenny Pickett, that obviously bodes well with a full off season going into year two in Matt Canada's system. I mean, that, that is part of the thesis statement right there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So this next guy I'm really excited about because there were so many things working against Justin Herbert uh, mm-hmm. outside of what you're going to talk about, which just the, which was just simply the touchdowns weren't as high as prob- they probably should have been, which you're going to touch on in a second. But there were so many other things that we'll get to in a second when it comes to Justin Herbert in terms of things working against him in 2022. But tell me why he's a, a positive expectation regression candidate in 2023. Yeah, with all these guys, I'm starting with the math of the expectation. If we look at Justin Herbert's 25 touchdowns, that was nine below expectations based on all of his past attempts and where they came from on the field and uh, historical past great numbers. He should have thrown 34 uh 34 touchdowns. That would have made him finish as the QB5. And these where these players would have finished, that drives the narrative so much, right? Because Herbert was going as the QB2 in redraft leagues last year, ended as a QB11, so a lot of disappointment there outside of where the passes came from, outside of actual passing rate. I mean, there's other drivers that can point us to a player regressing in the right direction. Herbert was second in pass attempts, second in passing yards. Those things typically coincide with higher passing numbers he just had really bad luck um he was a little unhealthy he had two receivers that missed multiple time and on top of that like we don't talk about herbert as a rushing quarterback he was one of 14 signal callers that had at least 50 rush attempts he was the only one in that group that didn't have a rushing touchdown so yeah he's not going to go out there and you know rush for 50 yards every game and give you 10 scores But I mean, if we get three or four rushing touchdowns out of Herbert instead of zero and he comes in on the high end of his expected passing touchdown number, if he has, you know, if he comes, if it's a big overcorrection and he comes in at like 37 or 38 passing touchdowns, this is a guy that could compete for the QB one with this new offense, with a new rookie in Quentin Johnson, with a new offensive coordinator in Kellen Moore, whose offenses were top six and scoring three of his four years in Cowboys. There are a lot of things pointing in the right direction uh, for the Chargers and particularly for Herbert. Of course, got the great pass catching back as well. Yeah, and when you talk about the rushing touchdowns, I mean, part of all of this, when it comes to Justin Herbert, I'm I'm trying to think of, well, okay, let's build off of a couple things. What would his season have been if the rib cartilage injury hadn't happened basically at the beginning of the season? Because that really hampered him. He probably should have rested way longer than he did. It probably hampered him the entire season. But then you got Slater and Lindsley injuries on the offensive line. Now, the offensive lines get injured all the time, so that's not necessarily an outlier thing. But those are two really important pieces that we're missing. Keenan Allen, I think people forget, he missed pretty much half the season. Yeah. I mean, there were about seven games he flat out didn't play. A couple more games where he was, you know, clearly injured during the game. And then and you mentioned uh, Mike Williams injured too. So, you know, some of these things are going to happen in an NFL, NFL season. You can't really account for them. But the rib cartilage injury, the offensive line injuries, the injuries to your primary receivers. I mean, the fact that he was able to do what he was able to do is actually really impressive. And if these things, if these people stay healthy, uh, and you add Quentin Johnson to the mix, you add Kellen Moore to the mix, man. I, I agree with you, TJ. Justin Herbert seems like a sky-high candidate who, for the record, to your point, might rush a little bit more than anybody expects. Not that he's a yeah. rushing quarterback, but still. Yeah, no, he'll give you he'll he'll give you random games where he'll give you 30, 30 and one on the ground. And that that obviously goes a really, really long way. 
So this next guy is really interesting to me because, and again, everybody can find this at 444.com. TJ uh, has all of this laid out, including kind of the statistical deep dive um, that sort of predicates all of all of these names. Matthew Stafford is interesting to me as a sort of a positive, ex- and forgive me if I'm using the wrong terms here. I'm, I'm saying positive expectations relative to 2022, yeah, relative no, to absolutely. the mean, you know, what have you. So, um, you know, Stafford is just, like, I don't think anybody's going to want to touch the Rams in general. I mean, obviously, Cooper Cup, you know, Cam Akers. But the Rams in general, I think, you know, obviously vibes are low. No, nobody's expecting them to win many games. Tell me what you're seeing with Matthew Stafford. Sure. I mean, this isn't an offense that I think we're we're buying a ton of. Stafford isn't a guy like like Kenny Pickett might be a guy that we're, you know, tar- if you're in, in a redraft league um, and you really miss out on, on the, um, you know, the top, 10 or 11 guys you're taking that 12 quarterback off the board maybe maybe pickets there but him and Stafford bo- both I think are are more likely going to be if they do hit early season wave wire candidates in your typical 12 team league I, I don't think their guys were going to be drafting but you know keep an eye on early in the year be ahead of of the uh crowd on the waiver wire Stafford came into last year with an elbow injury that everybody knew about and for whatever reason we all kind of said you know maybe maybe it's not as bad still ended up going as a top 12 quarterback struggled with that ended up hurting his neck missing half the season even when he was active only threw 10 touchdowns should have been around that 15 mark someone i i like guys like stafford um or at least guys with some kind of significant history because it's not like kenny pickett we have one year to draw on we have a long history of matthew stafford being consistently above average in terms of touchdown rate in his first year with the rams touchdown is way up near seven percent now you're not going to sustain that every year but down at 3.3 percent that's just not what we typically get from matthew stafford um cooper cup should be coming into the into the year healthy uh this is an offense that just really struggled all around last year so i think just stafford getting a full healthy offseason um you know having cut back i i think that he should be at least slightly above average again what's interesting too is just from a dfs standpoint i want everybody to keep in mind like these are guys that are, you know, especially when it comes to Stafford and Pickett and, and Herbert to a degree, because, you know, everybody's going to want to play like the true rushing quarterbacks that have some upside with their arm as well. I mean, Jalen Hurts comes to mind like there are going to be opportunities where especially early in the DFS season where for, for one, nobody's going to be playing Kenny Pickett. So depending on the matchup. Oh, and by the way, um, Matthew Stafford. He's in a high total game week one on the main slate. They play at the Seahawks. It's a 47-point total. That's certainly a contrarian uh, candidate for for the main slate because nobody's going to want to play Matthew Stafford. But even Justin Herbert, you know, given what we saw from him as the QB11 last year, TJ, he is the type of guy from a DFS standpoint that I want to be targeting in the first few weeks before people realize, hey, there were so many things mitigating such a great season from him. And so I I, I think – contextually you want to keep this in mind for redraft and, and and all of these other things but dfs wise especially guys like pickett and stafford but even herbert to a degree these are guys that might be a little lower owned um, than people expect i mean week one that's not going to be the case right because the dolphins play the chargers week one it's a 50 point total it's the highest total on the main slate still they're going to be games where herbert's probably lower owned. go ahead tj yeah, I think um, one of the early season advantages to people that are doing a lot of best ball drafts are um, are just or just doing a lot of off season research are we have a pretty 
good idea of who we think our breakout candidates are going to be or who our underrated redraft players are going to be. And a lot of times those end up being uh, low salary DFS guys. Uh, so they are, you know, sometimes week one feels like a complete crapshoot. We don't know what's going on with new offices, new coordinators. Um, just simply looking at some of these guys that we expect to have breakout years or, or bounce back years can be early season DFS targets for sure. All right. And let's talk about a couple of quarterbacks that maybe have some negative expectations, at least relative to what they produced from a touchdown standpoint last year. And the first one, it's Tua. Talk to me about Tua. Do, do you mind if we talk about both these guys together? Because I think they actually had really similar years, and, and I, I think their um, most likely trends are a little bit different. Yeah, actually, I was gonna. I was actually going to group them together, and I decided to go one on one. So yeah, okay. actually, that's that's probably the better way anyway. Let's go. Yeah, ju- just because with the way that they both ran, both Tua um, and Geno Smith, they both ran really good in terms of deep passes. Tua had um, eight touchdowns over forty yards. Geno had thirteen touchdowns over thirty yards. And those long scores, whether it be passing scores uh, for the quarterbacks or um, receiving or rushing scores for uh, the other positions, they're typically typically not sticky. We typically see the usage uh, stick really well, um, but those long scores are, are very um, high variance year to year. So Tua was uh, Tua ran super hot last year, should have had about 17 touchdowns based on expectation through 25. Gino had 23 through for 30. Um, Tua threw for a super high touchdown rate over 6%. We typically don't see that repeating. And even with Tua running super hot, he was the QB nine in terms of point per game when he played at least 70% of the snaps. If we just look in terms of the offensive changes, the upside for Tua is pretty obvious. He has two of the most dynamic receivers in the league. But Miami, I mean, they drafted a running back, but most of their upgrades this year came on defense, whereas Seattle invested a lot more in the pass game. Drafted JSN, drafted a pass catching running back in Zach Charbonnet, have two tackles that a lot of people forget were rookies last year, but played only missed one combined start. Offensive line continuity, especially at those talk tackle positions, is huge for offense. So Seattle's offensive line struggled last year. I think they could be a lot better this year. Brought in another a new center as well. So I think Geno could have really good protection this year. And, I mean, they just invested in their passing game. So if one of these quarterbacks is more likely to sustain their season, I actually like it to be Geno, where I think the consensus is people are expecting it to be Tua. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I want to ask you sort of off script a little bit. Uh, when it comes to the NFC West, I mean, we talked about the Rams. I, I don't think they have any shot to win the NFC West. Uh, Arizona, I can safely say, has no shot to win the NFC yeah, West. Yeah. You, when you look at the numbers, I think last I checked, you had uh, the Niners at like minus 150. And I think uh, the Seattle Seahawks were somewhere in like the, I, I can't remember what it was, but plus, it was certainly a plus number, a pretty healthy plus number. Uh, do you think Seattle can contend for the NFC West? <sighs> Niners are really good, man. Yeah, <laughs> I, but really the, good. for me is no, I don't. Like, I think Seattle's yeah. good, but I don't yeah. think, regardless of who's at quarterback, which I expect it to be Brock Purdy, I think it's the Niners division uh, because of yeah. it's just a head-to-head matchup, really. I think their offense is going to be really fun. Uh, as long as, I, I mean, we had, you know, Pete Carroll, we, we thought he was uh, never going to open up the pass game, and then Seattle's all of a sudden eighth in passing rate over expectation last year. I think that continues. So they could be a really fun team. I, I don't know if if they could hold a candle to the Niners this year. Yeah, agree with that. All right. Well, listen, we got to talk about some regression candidates at the running back position. But before we do that, let's hear a message from our partners. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are back. This is Fantasy Football Today, DFS, and I'm with TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. Running backs, we got a couple here with negative expectations, or I should say positive, and then a few with negative ones. And I think the negative ones are going to be really controversial with respect to maybe one or two of them. I'm a big fan of really both the guys you have in the positive category. Where do you want to start? Uh, We could start right at the top with Travis Etienne. I I think he's a super interesting player just because of of what people thought they were going to get out of him and what he provided. But I think when we dig into the numbers, uh, the narrative might be a little bit wrong. Fair enough. Uh, Tell me about it. Yeah, the the big thing with Etienne is people were expecting this huge passing game we're out of him, right? And, And we just didn't get it uh and, and he actually matched his his adp last year i believe he was drafted as the rb 16 and finishes rb 16 I, I might be off by one or two spots depending on scoring system there uh but the past game work wasn't there what it doesn't account for is that his five total touchdowns should have been nine total touchdowns and if he hits that expectation we're looking at an rb12 finish for etn and like i said so much of the narrative is driven off of how a player finished last year etn is coming off of the year where he finishes an rb1 i think there's a lot more hype around him i think we might see you know maybe around higher adp on him among running backs that are currently on a roster only five had more opportunities inside the 10 yard line than Travis Etienne last year he just didn't convert all of them and again that, that's a very high uh, variance number those touchdown rates um, t- tend to uh, swing back to normal pretty often this is an offense that a lot of people are expecting to continue to trend up got Calvin Ridley uh, to join their receiving core now we know Trevor Lawrence is ascending I want running backs that are going to be on explosive offenses and sure. Maybe ETN isn't going to be this 70, 80 target guy that we're hoping for, but if we expect this offense to have a lot of scoring opportunity, a lot of times that scoring opportunity means sustained drives and short, easy touchdowns for the running backs, more running back opportunity. ETN's competing with touches with a guy that is a perennial backup in Dearness Johnson mm-hmm. and take Bigsby, who's a rookie that I like, but not a ton of draft capital where I think they're going to feel like they need to get him playing uh, again. So 
He's had an over 60% touch share last year. I don't see any reason why Etienne doesn't match that touch share, maybe even exceed it. And if his touchdowns normalize, we're looking at a player that finishes as a top 10 running back. I think that's the key here, what you said about the touch share, because even if we think Tank Bigsby, and he is kind of a tank. By the way, his his actual name is not Tank. It's Cartavius, uh, if anybody <laughs> wanted to know that. Although Tank is certainly a, a fitting name for him. But even if he gets some of the goal line work, because you got to think they invested in him to some degree because of the inefficiency from Etienne, maybe inside the 10, inside the 5. But even if Bigsby gets some of that, Etienne, Etienne's going to get some of that too. But between the 20s, I feel like Etienne's going to get like not all of it, but certainly more than 60%. I feel like even if you think Bigsby as a rookie carves out a role, which is, you know, questionable, sure. it's, it's all going to, tra- otherwise it's, it all seems like it's going to Travis. I don't think Dearness Johnson is a guy that's really going to do anything other than spell Travis Etienne when he's hurt, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I like Etienne a lot. And I, I think he's a – I mean, I, I wouldn't say necessarily a hedge because he's not going super um, uh, late, but a lot of people are just hyping up the offense, and I think you can uh, you can get a lot of the offense through the running back this year. So speaking of a lot of the offense through the running back, I look at the New England Patriots and I think, all right, uh, how does Ramondre Stevenson not get, like, all the work? Because behind him, it just looks bare. Like, I don't know, I don't, Pierre Strong, like Ty Montgomery, I don't even know really where we're going at the second and third running back position. We know Damian Harris is gone. Ramondre is somebody you really like. Talk about it. Yeah, Ramondre um, only scored six touchdowns last year. Obviously, he was a beast through the pass game with 88 targets, but he was very similar to ETN in that both uh, had at least 20 opportunities. That's targets uh, plus rushes inside the 10-yard line. There were 18 other players to hit that 20 uh, opportunity mark inside the 10-yard line. They were the only two with fewer than five touchdowns. So Stevenson is getting the requisite work near the goal line. I know a lot of people think, oh, Damian Harris was the pounder last year, um, which people just automatically equate with goal line work. But Steven Stevenson was getting a lot of work inside the 10-yard line. I would expect him to continue to get that work. Uh, he is obviously a, a safer bet than ETN because he is getting that passing game work that we didn't see from ETN. The only little bit of pause, and I don't think we need to have too much pause, is that Bill O'Brien is going to be calling plays again this year. He has struggled as an offensive coordinator um, before. But, um, I, I mean, with Harris gone. Um, they already released James Robinson. I, I just don't see a hurdle other than that. The Patriots do have the most difficult schedule in the league in terms of um, opponent expected win total. So they could get into some negative game scripts. They could see some spots where uh, Stevenson doesn't get the uh, touchdown upside that we're hoping for, but he has a safety net with his pass catching. So again, if, if that touchdown normalizes, he's being drafted high top 10 running back in ADP. Um, I think he has a chance to, to pretty easily match that. I like that. Okay. So it's the, it's the negative expectation guys. Again, this is all relative right to 2022 that I think are going to have some eyes, you know, wide open a little bit. And I'm going to start with a guy who's coming off an injury, but you know, seems like he's trending fine off of that injury that I think a lot of people are going to be in love with. And, and I wonder, and we're talking about Tony Pollard, and I wonder how you want to couch this. Is is the negative expectation relative to the 2022 numbers or is it relative to his ADP or both? No, I, I think it's relative to his touchdown expectation only. I think with Tony Pollard, where like he can he were, he had a a huge um gap in his expectation versus his actual touchdowns should have been between six and seven touchdowns based on where all of his touches came from. Scored 12. With that said, 
a lot of that is going to be made up for in volume. He's not going to be splitting work with Zeke. I think with Pollard compared to the other guys around him, we're so excited about Paul, right? He's been this uber efficient back that we've been waiting to get uh, a, a full workload when he has, he's absolutely blown up. He's won tournaments for people last year. I think this expectation that we talk about range of outcomes, I think it's a lot wider than uh, some people might be giving uh, Pollard credit for. So many of his runs came from long range, eight from eight from outside the 10 yard line, which doesn't seem long, but just not a lot of running back scores come from outside the 10 yard line. Five touchdowns of at least 30 plus yards. As I mentioned with quarterbacks, those long touchdowns are really hard to repeat. Now, most of the work inside the 10 went to Zeke, especially on the ground. Zeke is gone. Maybe, I mean, maybe they bring him back. That's probably the biggest question mark for Tony Pollard right now. Do they start training camp and then bring in Zeke? Um, that could really hurt his touchdown expectation. Uh, Cowboys O-line always very good. Other concern. We got Mike McCarthy versus Kellen Moore. A lot of people are going to say, Oh, McCarthy wants to feed uh, running back the rock. That's a good thing. Tony Pollard's touches are, are going to go through the roof. Sure. But if they're, a super inefficient team in terms of scoring. Um, that's also very concerning. So there's a lot of push and pull with Tony Pollard. The positives are very obvious. I just think the range of outcomes are a lot wider than people are expecting. Yeah, fair enough. I uh, definitely understand that argument. The next guy is really interesting to me. And I, and I want to lead with just some of what I see when it comes to Austin Eckler, because you have him, you know, especially with regard to what we're talking about really is the touchdown expectations here. 18 total touchdowns last year, which is obviously yeah. a ton. But I think a lot of his work in general, if we just like reach outside of the touchdowns and we look at his receptions, 107 receptions on 127 targets. Yep. Would you agree with me that a lot of that was attributed to the injuries across the offensive line and in the wide receiver room and that he was just like by just sort of the, the guy by process of elimination that was just getting a lot of those targets because there were, weren't a lot of other people there that that Herbert could rely on? Uh, yes and no. I, I mean, to the extent that he was getting them, I would say yes. But in terms of relative to the rest of the league, we have a lot of evidence that Austin Eckler is a guy that can handle uh, a lot of high value touches. And when I say high value touches, I mean, um, targets and touches inside the 10 yard line. He was pretty much in the same position last year where he scored way over expectation. And then he didn't bounce back. He scored over expectation again. And this is where I think it's really important if people, uh, you know, don't just look at the tweet or who the names are in the article, but actually to read this process, because this is a really important one. And it's why I call it touchdown expectation because Austin Eckler, as long as he's the starting running back for the chargers, he's been at or near the top of the league in terms of touchdown expectation. So this is a player with the work he's given. He can regress to the mean and still pay off his RB three ADP. Mm -hmm. So I included him for that very reason. 13 expected touchdowns is a lot. The only other guy that's seen those type of numbers last year was Jamal Williams. And Jamal Williams is another guy. That's another great example of this process and why I go through this process every single year. Because if you don't, you might look at someone like Jamal Williams and say, he scored 17 or 18 times. You just can't repeat that every year. Maybe not, but his touchdown expectation was actually exactly where it was supposed to be. Austin Eckler is one of those guys. He's getting these high-value touches. Sure, he scored over, but I think he's a fair value where he's going. I think he he might not repeat as RB1, but I think top three or four RB is very, very safe for Eckler. I think he's one of the best um, running backs, most high-value running backs in the league. All right. And the last guy, I feel like this is one where I, I take issue with it because it's Nick Chubb. And I just think, I mean, I, I can't tell you, TJ, how many times, because I do a prop show with uh, 
part of the CBS Sports uh, Network with Prop Stars and Dave Richard from Fantasy Football Today, Jonathan Coachman, the coach. And I can't tell you how many times, middle of the season, towards the end of the season, where I was just like, Nick Chubb's over in rushing yards. Nick, and it would yeah. keep going up and he'd keep yeah. clipping it. And, I, and with Kareem Hunt gone, and I understand Kareem Hunt what really wasn't much of a force uh, last season for the Browns, but it just seems to me that like with Kareem Hunt gone, maybe Nick Chubb, maybe the receptions tick up a little bit, maybe the opportunities for touchdowns tick up, especially with some of the guys on the outside that they've added, like Elijah Moore and you know, Deshaun maybe being better this year. Um, but what what is the reason that Nick Chubb shows on shows up on the list in, in a negative way? Yeah, the, the only reason he shows up here is just because he scored so far over expectation. He scored five touchdowns over expectation. Should have been at eight, was at 13. And this goes for all three of these guys. Since 2000, uh, beginning of 2019, we've had nine other running backs besides these three score at least five touchdowns over expectation the following year they've seen their touchdown total drop by an average of seven touchdowns obviously if if chubbs drops by seven he's at six so he's probably you know still in that running back eight or nine range given his um his workload he's just a a back like chubb is just always a concern because he's not going to give you a lot in the past game and he's he's going to finish as the you know he's going to finish as a top 10 running back even if he has a bad rushing year Players like Chubb are can be frustrating. He he wasn't much last year. Can be frustrating because like these eighty yards and zero touchdown games are always in his range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. So his yeah. end of season numbers are going to look good. Um, he's going to have games where he's going to sink you. Um, you know, if, if you're playing on DraftKings, he's going to give you a little bit more cushion because you're going to get that hundred yard bonus a lot of times when he doesn't get his touchdown. Uh, but but. Just uh, you know, be cautious. Think about how how the offense is going to look. Is Deshaun Watson going to go back to you know he's been a premier rushing quarterback in the league before? Um, are they going to be a better passing team this year? Is that going to hurt Chubb? I think he's going to be fine. It's just throw up just one of these little red flags. We want to be doing our due process. He did run very good last year in terms of of touchdown rate. Totally fair. Totally understand that. So here's the thing. Your wide receiver article, it's it's not mm-hmm. out yet. Your tight end article yeah. is not out yet on 444.com. You're about to publish these things. But I figured, mm-hmm. well, why not just, like, we don't have to go through the whole process. But maybe you give sure. us, let's talk about the wide receivers, for example. Maybe a sneak peek of maybe a couple of names, literally maybe a couple, two, that might show up in that next article. Sure. Um, start with wide receivers, if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah, the the guy that scored the highest over expectation last year was Tyler Lockett, and that's not a surprise. Every single year, our guys that are uh, quarterbacks that are the highest or lowest uh, relative to expectation are almost always going to have pass catchers that are highest or lowest over expectation. Tyler Lockett scored nine touchdowns last year. His expectation was 4.2. Now, Tyler Lockett, similar to a guy like Austin Eckler, he's proven that he can consistently score above expectation. He's a very efficient receiver, very good at what he does. Tyler Lockett for me is an opportunity to look at the Seattle offense as a whole and kind of um, dig into what we think they can do. A lot of people look at the drafting of, of JSN, look at Charbonnet and kind of say, we're not sure how targets are going to play out. If we do some digging, I, I think we can kind of get an idea of what the Seattle offense is going to look like. Now, even though they threw at a top 10 rate over expectation last year, they were very limited in how they can do that. They ran three wide receiver sets at one of the lowest rates in the league. JSN's going to give them the ability to spread out that offense and continue to throw at a high rate. Zach Charbonnet is going to give them a uh, running back out of the backfield. Ken Walker's fine. Zach Charbonnet is way better out of the backfield. Now, with Tyler Lockett specifically, and why I do think he can regress, 
is because if we look at the profile of Lockett, look at the profile of Jackson Smith and Jigba, both are players that can play as flankers and as slot wide receivers. Neither of them are going to be great on the line, especially JSN. That is going to be a role where now DK can comfortably play the X, play on the line of scrimmage. That's going to be his designated role. Tyler Lockett and JSN most likely bounce back and forth between the Z and the slot. And for that reason, they're going to have a lot of shared targets, a lot of shared opportunities. Tyler Lockett on the wrong side of 30. JSN, one of the better route runners coming out of the draft. Um, I, I think by the end of the year, either can have, obviously, if, if they're both healthy, I think they could both have these huge splash games. With rookie JSN being the top receiver in the draft with Lockett on the wrong side of 30, I think it could be a situation where by those playoff weeks, we see JSN be the player that's popping. And for the simple fact that they're just they're sharing, they're going to be sharing a role. I, I think they're going to have a lot of ambiguous weeks where DK is just steadily holding down that X. Yeah, Tyler Lockett turns 31 in September. Uh, it sounds to me, and I would agree with this if the answer was yes, but feel free to disagree. It sounds to me like DK Metcalf is somebody that that you really like this year. Yeah, and and it's when we look at at redraft or best ball, um, a lot of people will simply look at ADP and say DK is going way or earlier than Lockett and JSN. Uh, Lockett has outscored him before. Lockett's the obvious value. I look at the roles and look at DK and and how he plays. And and like I said, look at Tyler Lockett and Jason likely splitting these roles. And if this offense continues, if Geno Smith continues the efficiency that we saw last year for the reasons that I laid out, I really think that DK has a top five or six year in his range of outcomes this year. I don't think Lockett Jason have the range of outcomes. Sure, Lockett can finish as you know the wide receiver 13 again, but does he have a wide receiver 12 or wide receiver, you know, five or six in his range of outcomes? I don't think so. Not not if he's switching back and forth with Jason. Totally agree with that. Uh maybe how about one other receiver uh that you want to just touch on real quick? Uh that's going to be in your wide receiver article. Yeah, I, I talked about Kenny Pickett, talked about how a lot of these um, players are tied to each other. I mean, Deontay Johnson is just the obvious one. Didn't score a touchdown last year. His expectation was seven. If we look at Matt Harmon's reception perception, Deontay just grades out as one of the best route runners. Uh, Matt Harmon's success rate versus man, versus zone, versus different type of coverages. Deontay Johnson just wins. These are the type of players we want on our team. If Kenny Pickett continues to ascend as a passer, Deontay Johnson is going to be the steady player on that team. Uh, you know, I, I know people like Pickens. Uh, Pickens has a lot of Gabe Davis attributes. I like Gabe Davis, but it's going to be, I think it's going to be a little more inconsistent than people are hoping for. I know he's sexy. I know Pickett to Pickens is sexy. Deontay Johnson is that dude in the offense. Totally agree with that. And from a DFS standpoint, listen, if, if you're looking at, you know, trying to make a splash with any of these guys like Steelers, for example, listen, they play San Francisco their first game and then they're home against Cleveland, but Vegas and Houston in weeks three and week four. So like, just think of from a DFS standpoint, the, their value was already depressed, right? I mean, TJ's talking about yeah. it, but you know, not a lot of people are thinking like these go, these guys are going to be guys you want to put on your DFS teams, but it's going to be even worse after they play San Francisco and maybe after they play Cleveland. But then you wake up in Vegas and Houston, they're low priced. Nobody really wants to play them in spite of their low price because like they're, they're not sexy picks like George Pickens or like some receivers that typically score a lot of touchdowns. And, and that's sort of how you win a DFS. I mean, if the matchup is right, that's sort of how you win a, a, a tournament matchup. I mean, TJ, do you, do you like my logic in terms of like, I can't imagine 
that the prices are high for Deontay. I mean, Deontay will carry some price value, but like that they're going to be high for Pickett or Deontay in week three against Vegas or week four against Houston. Yeah, I mean, we, we would have to see, um, you know, we would have to see something huge out of them. And, you know, they're, I mean, this these are things to keep in the back of our mind, right? These these hoping to pop off teams because, you know, Pittsburgh starts the season against the Niners. All it takes is them to just have a horrible game against the Niners to get a- absolutely romped. And then all of a sudden everyone's saying, yeah, same old Steelers. Um, mm-hmm. And it just presents opportunities. There's no way they're going to be high priced. There's no, there's none. An interesting note that the Niners are favored by three at Pittsburgh, but uh, that's at plus 100. So I think some money is at least coming in on Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah. Something to think about. Speaking of, uh, we talked about the Browns earlier. Uh, we touched on them. I just want to put it out there because I tweeted this out earlier. I like the Browns plus two and a half at home. I think that could tick up to three by the time we kick this thing off. And what would it be? 61 days. Uh, but something to think about. I'm, I'm big on the Browns this year. So I'm just going to put that out there here in uh, July. All right. Two tight ends. Just give me names like and give me sort of like positive or negative before we get to talking about that actual main slate, uh, which is going to be in, again, 58 days. Um, two tight ends, maybe one positive, one negative, two positive, two negative, whatever it is. Um, a couple names that are going to be in your tight end article. Yeah, Kittle scored way over expectations. Six touchdowns uh, expected versus 11 actually scored, and that's tied to directly to Brock Purdy, who scored six over expectation on just 170 attempts. He usually takes uh, a, a quarterback, you know, uh, 400 attempts to score six over expectations. So uh, they really performed over expectation. Uh, those two particularly, obviously, a lot of mouths to feed there on offense. That's not going to throw a ton. Got CMC there uh, taking a lot of touches. So Kittle gives me a little bit of pause. We already talked about Matthew Stafford. Um, Tyler Higby only scored three touchdowns last year compared to his six expected. Higby's never going to be that sexy pit guy. He's never going to be the guy that, um, you know, we're, we're expecting to give us a, a tight end five season over 17 games, but he's going to give us these random three touchdown games, or at least, you know, he he has in the past. And who the hell is going to catch balls after Cooper Cup? Um, I, I know, yeah. you know, some people like Puka Nakua. Uh, some people are on the van train. I, I think Higby... Uh, especially if you're playing boomer bust game and, um, you know, especially on DraftKings, where we really play the boomer bust tight end game. I think Higby could have some random weeks where he's worth uh, throwing darts at. Absolutely love it. All right. By the way, everybody in the chat, uh, hit the like button if you haven't already. J Rob, GC, and Team Energy. I see you, Office Depot. Ryan DeRipper, who uh, apparently is the most humble guy in the chat, saying he will own everybody in fantasy football. Graphic 13. Thank you, I think, for acknowledging the top button. Listen, we're going to talk about the main slate real quick before we get out of here. But before we do that, let's hear another message from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And we're back. 
and this is Fantasy Football Today, DFS Listen. I know it's July 11th, and I know we're quite literally two months away from the main slate. But this is fun. This is supposed to be fun, right, TJ? Listen, I know you're yeah. in the best ball streets and, you know, yeah. Dynasty and, and all that stuff. So you, you probably haven't turned the page to DFS yet. But remind us, when do you think pricing will actually come out? We usually see pricing drop um, the last couple of days of July, first couple of days of August. Um, usually, uh, it, I don't know if FanDuel or DraftKings dropped first, but usually whoever drops first, one um, follows the other. I, I don't know if anybody working at either of those places is listening. I've been pounding the table. I don't Tell me what you think about this idea. I think yeah. when pricing drops, they should run a tournament that locks when the hall of fame game starts so you oh, set that's your an amazing lineup idea and then that you don't and then you can't touch it with all the pre with all the preseason action so it's like it's like a, basically a best ball dfs kind of, thing that yeah. locks at the hall of fame game yeah 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 oh i'm so in i'm gonna clip this i'm gonna have zach <laughs> clip this and we'll tag DraftKings on it why wouldn't they do that it's i've been like, asking every year let's get this going let's get this going oh tj what an amazing idea all right so listen speaking of we have a main slate that has 13 games, as you might expect, week one. Uh, eight games are at one o'clock in, in case you want to play the early game slate uh, uh, or early games slate. And then at 425, they're all at 425, by the way. We have five games. And the afternoon, the 425 games happen. This is Eastern Standard Time, of course, uh, happen to be some of the games that have the higher point totals. Some, some games that stand out to me. I mean, I'll just tell you that the games with the highest point total, like right now, these totals might change. Dolphins at Chargers. That's a 50-point total. That's the highest on the slate. Um, again, this is the main slate. The, the Kansas City game that kicks off this entire season uh, at home against Detroit, that's a 55-point uh, total. That'll be a showdown discussion that we'll discuss when we get closer. The Browns and the Bengals. Browns at home against the Bengals. That's a 47-point total. That's a 1 o'clock game. Rams at Seahawks. We've been talking about the Rams and the Seahawks this entire show. That's a 47-point total. Other notable games, Eagles, who a lot of people are going to want to play, are at the Patriots, 45-and-a-half. Bucks at Vikings, 45 and a half. Texans at Ravens. I bring that up because Texans will probably be some cheap options and you can play Lamar and stack him or not stack him, whatever you want to do with that. Uh, anything jump out to you? I mean, obviously, Dolphins and Chargers is going to be the game people are going to be focused on. I mean, I, is that the game you're going to be focused on? Uh, before I answer that game, there, there are there's two things that jump out to me and they're not game or, or uh, DFS lineup building specific. They're kind of more theory game selection specific Two two things that uh, let's just pretend we can only play the main slate. Two things that I, uh, or, or play, you know, the, the full slates, full type yeah. slates, not like these random games, two things I tell people that can make them the most money on main slate DFS, split your slates up between, you know, the eight game and the five game slate for this, mm-hmm. Play early only slate, afternoon only slate. Um, I think there's a lot of value in that just because people are focused on the full 13-game slate. And learn about late swap. And this this sets up perfectly for like a crazy late swap game because all of the chalk is going to be late with these high-scoring games. And what that means is that we can play a couple contrarian plays early and if our contrarian plays hit, it lets us know how chalky or late or chalky or contrarian we could be in these later games. And this is week I mean any week it's bad, but this looks like if you're setting your lineup and forgetting it when the 1 p.m. games kick off, you're 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 giving up a lot of equity. So I'd say those two things um, really stand out to me. I mean, it looks like at first glance that 
the Dolphins and the Chargers game is going to be the one that everybody is all over with a lot of people on. I would guess Gino probably ends up being like the popular mid-priced quarterback with people, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on how salaries fall, that will determine who his popular pass catchers are. But uh, I would imagine that Dolphins Chargers game is going to be bonkers. And I'm curious for for those that are new to DFS. I mean, they they certainly or new to NFL DFS. I mean, they certainly understand ownership, and you, you don't necessarily want to always play the chalk. In if you're playing this slate, is yeah. it hey, I'm going to play that game, but I'm going to get different with how I play it. I, I know who the, the most of the what most of the chalky builds are going to be comprised of. I might dabble there, but I'm I'm going to change it up a little bit so I get pieces of the game that other people don't have or is the strategy, and maybe it's both, by the way, uh, or is the strategy, I'm just going to avoid that game. I'm going to take a piece or two, but I'm not going to get any of my stacks in that game, and I'm going to do a stack in a different game, but just grab a couple pieces in, in the big one that everybody's going to go after. Um, I'm, I'm going to answer it again with a little bit of theory. One thing that I have seen historically is that typically it takes uh, the sites, the betting sites, a couple of weeks to, to get their uh, – their lines calibrated. And what that means for us is that we can early in the season, the first three weeks, we can find a lot of value in the second tier of whether it be implied totals or game totals. So most, most than I will other weeks, I would probably have less of this dolphins chargers game because we can get so much value on these games with the 45, 46 mm-hmm. over for the teams with the 24, 25 point implied totals compared to the 48, 49, 50 game totals, the 28, 29 implied totals. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm usually going to be a little lighter on these super heavy, high-scoring week one games. Any of these games jump out to you where where you're looking at it and you're like, that does seem pretty low. Not a lot of people are going to be playing that game. It might be a good opportunity for me to basically take advantage of, of the bookmakers who, who probably have a soft line. Jags Colts seems like the most obvious one to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Colts. Colts. Uh, assuming we already got some Gardner Minshew chat going on from uh, from from the Colts that he could be Week One, but uh, Anthony Richardson um, with that Jaguars offense sets uh, ascending indoors, uh, which obviously doesn't matter a ton um, in September compared to December. But forty three and a half for that game seems pretty pretty enticing for the over. It seems low. What's really interesting about that, too, is I expect I'm not trying to break news here. It's just my speculation. I expect Gardner Minshew to be the starter week one. I just don't think Anthony Richardson's going to be ready. I know reports from the coaching staff when he was drafted were like, hey, we're going to we're going to put him in there right away. But I just personally don't think that's going to happen. And if salaries are coming out in early or I should say early August, late July, like Minshew is going to be priced a certain way where it wouldn't shock me at all if he's super chalky come kickoff time. Am I crazy here? No, no. If if we get a a five k Minshew, um, and he ends up being the starter, I mean, at least for for cash games, I would assume he would be um, a mega chalk guy. Except unless maybe like a, I don't know, like a Sam Howell comes in super cheap or something. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what. I'm gonna call it TJ. I'm gonna call it right now. Gardner Minshew will be the cash game chalk uh, on week one of the NFL okay. season on the main slate. I'm calling it right Makes now. Sense. Uh, that was. Sense. Uh, I love the theory you dropped there. That's certainly so. Everybody on FFT DFS, um, we're going to start to ramp up our shows. We're going to still have our offseason series over the next three or four weeks, uh, five weeks. Then we're going to get into preseason, things of that nature. Mike McClure is going to be back on the show. Other guests will be back with us 
on the show. But we're going to be talking about a lot of that leading into week one of the NFL season to get everybody super prepared. TJ, looking at this slate, any other sort of nuggets to drop here in terms of maybe what people, not necessarily with this slate in particular, but uh, the game theory you just dropped was certainly super valuable, I think, to everybody listening. Anything else to pay attention to, maybe just early in the season uh, that people can just sort of take? Maybe it's it's something that like not a lot of people are thinking about. This is something that can kind of get you an edge. Um, like I mentioned, I, I think if you're doing a lot of redraft research, you can take a lot of that, uh, information, a lot of the insight into the early season, kind of stick to these, you know, pe- these teams that we might like the, the Steelers type breakout candidates. Um, even if they don't hit week one, kind of keeps that in the back of your mind that they can be offenses that could pop, um, take week one with a grain of salt. You know, obviously we're going to, we, it takes, I, I don't know four to six weeks to really calibrate on, on what we know about these teams. There's a a lot of value early in the season and and going against what we, what we know after a couple games, Uh, follow the volume, follow, um, follow the touches, follow, um, you know, team teams that are, um, you know, high, high passing rate over expectation type deals. Um, And then just from, from a game selection uh, perspective, I mean, when these, when these salaries drop, um, really digest what all of these sites are offering. Don't feel like you need to enter every contest, really look at, at um, obviously tournaments where everybody's excited about really look at these structures. I, I spend a lot of time tweeting out game structures and, and you know, which games are, are, are flat or, or heavy payouts and, and depending what you're looking for um, you can make a lot of money on game selection alone, get out of that, that uh, feature lobby and really dig into these games. And especially in week one, it's come Saturday night, Sunday morning, we're going to see contests fill like crazy, right? And then mm-hmm. what we see is in that last, which are similar buy-ins, smaller fields, better structures. So save some of your role for that. And I'm obviously we're looking for overlay. So, you know, we're always looking for that, but just these second contests that get released after the featured ones uh, fill up, there's a lot of value in those second contests uh, the last hour before kickoff. Love that. And, and I'll tell you what, what you said about the early in the season, alleged trends. I mean, I, I I can't like the beginning of the season is always the part of the season. I, I tend to spike the most. I tend to make the most money. It's because yeah. by week two, people think they know all the teams. They know all the mm-hmm. trends. They know exactly. And by week three, it's the same thing. Week four. And then you start to see things kind of normalize as the season goes on. But please take advantage of that perception that's going to exist going into week one, but certainly after week one, going into week two and week three, that's where you really can really take advantage of some false perceptions there. So TJ, before we get out of here, we know you can, we can find your work at four for com, And we know we can look for your regression candidate articles, touchdown regression candidate articles, particularly in that wide receiver tight end department. Those ones have yet to be published. Anything else we can look forward to from you on four for four. Yeah, the rest of this regression series should be hitting uh, the site in the next couple of weeks. I just dropped a huge article that's called My Ultimate Guide to Best Ball Mania 4. It gives my uh, step-by-step breakdown to how I'm approaching the biggest best ball tournament in the industry. If you want some more DFS theory, we have uh, called the DFS Strategy Hub. A lot of that content is free. One thing that you could find is my uh, tournament reviews, which kind of breaks down the difference between FanDuel and DraftKings tournaments, what really works in those. So check out the Strategy Hub. There's a ton of stuff in there for free on 4 for 4. 
Absolutely love it. Well, thank you, TJ. That's TJ Hernandez at TJ Hernandez, also at 444.com. My name is Sia Najad at Sia Najad. This is Fantasy Football Today DFS. We'll be back with you in a couple weeks to continue our offseason series. Really looking forward to it and really looking forward to this NFL season. We hope you join us. This is Fantasy Football Today DFS, and we'll see you next time.